This is Dimitri Samarov, uh, a painter and writer in Chicago, Illinois, and you're listening to Blather, a show about art, music, movies, and more. Though the show has been around for about four years, uh, I'm thinking of this as a new beginning. Uh, I'm rededicating myself to the forum and uh, hope to bring you many interesting interviews and readings uh, and share works in progress. Today's show uh, features an interview with the writer Lucy Sant. Sant is my favorite living writer, and we talk about immigration, her upcoming trip to her native Belgium, uh, major life changes, uh, and many more things. I hope you enjoy. So how are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. What's what's your morning like so far? Um well, I'm 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 kind of raking through the aftermath of um last night's event. I I did my first I actually did my my second reading at Bard in the 23 years I've been associated with the place and it was, you know, the first time I appeared well, I mean, I'd been out all semester, last semester, but it was the first time I did a public event as Lucy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a lot of people there who hadn't seen me before, et cetera. You know, sure. and it was, um, it went well, but for me, there was, you know, fair amount of emotional blowback. You know, so I was up much later than I should have been raking the coals. Just, just person, or or blowback from an actual person? No, um, no, no, no blowback. Nothing, <laughs> nothing hurtful happened or was said. Good. But you know, I get into manic overinterpretation in the aftermath of such things. Sure, yeah, uh, I think everybody does that. <laughs> everybody that who's temperamentally private and uh, insular. Uh, who goes out in public and does these events? Uh, it's a it's a strange thing to make yourself do. La- last last week, it took me three tries to, to do this with someone else. Uh, I I talked with them for an hour and a half, only to find out I only recorded my side of the conversation. Yeah, that's fucked. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I never did very many interviews when I was, a, you know, a journalist. Mm-hmm. But I remember doing one with Nick Cohn, who wrote, um, well, he's most famous for writing the article that became Saturday Night Fever. Oh. Um, but um, interesting guy. And I went out to his house in Shelter Island, and we talked for like two hours. Mm-hmm. And this is with a cassette recorder back in sure, the old sure. days. And um, I'd somehow forgot to hit record, and I had to reproduce the whole thing from memory while waiting right. for my train, you know. Yep. Well, yeah, up to now, up to the last few weeks, I've only used this, this medium as note-taking. Either note-taking or, or just during pandemic, reading out loud. So I've posted uh, bits of my own writing and then favorite reading and stuff. Yeah. So this is my new attempt to to do more kind of just standalone conversations with people whose work I respect and and or who I like personally, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's kind of an experiment, and uh, I appreciate you uh, sort of uh, indulging me this way. <laughs> oh well, you're <laughs> indulging me, so. Hey, no, no. <laughs> mutual indulgence. Yeah. So y- you told me via email you're about to go back to the home country for a bit. How's that? Uh, I think you said that staying away for long periods makes you loopy, or I forget the word you used, but... Well, I was talking so about Europe. I mean, I, need, yeah, Europe, I yeah. have a physical need for Europe. Um and the last time I was in Europe was in December 19, just before the pandemic. I was in mm-hmm. Italy. 
and it's it's been rough ever since. Now, as far as back going back to the home ground, that I haven't done in 16 years, and I'm taking my son, who also hasn't been there in 16 years, last time when he was six. And in the meantime, I mean, I basically have no family left besides Raphael. I have some, you sure, know, sure. like second cousins twice removed and stuff like that, but I'm not really in touch with any of them. I do have some friends, including a couple of friends I've had since we were two years old. Wow. Um, and I'll be seeing them. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's about seeing people, but even more, it's about the smells, the tastes, the, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I, um, I sort of envy you that way that you have that uh, feeling of, uh, some sort of feeling of home, home with the place you came from, which I can't and won't have because the place I'm from is gone. And uh, if, well, it's, you know, there is no Soviet Union. And, uh, and then you can turn on the news to see why I would never go back there, <laughs> you know. The place is so fucked. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Uh, but so when uh, your family f first moved here, did you have any English at all? No, I started school with not a word of English. Yeah, and I, uh, I didn't know how to ask to go to the bathroom. Right. I I had that experience. <laughs> uh, and they probably didn't have ESL back when you were in school. No, right? they didn't have any of that. I mean, I was the only immigrant kid within miles. You know, we immigrated yeah. at, at the historic low point of immigration in the U.S., the early 60s. Mm. So you just had to, it was sort of full immersion, trial by fire. Yeah, totally. You probably got teased a lot for, for the no English, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, kids were not terrible. I nope. gotta say, I mean, my first school, they were much worse. Uh, my second school, when I was already 11 and could speak much better English, you know, mm. my first school, they were actually kind of okay. Mm. Uh, and it's kind of a blur in my mind because, I mean, evidently, when I look back on, you know, the evidence such as it is, mm. I seem to have learned English incredibly fast. How old were you? Um, when I started school, um, I was uh, doing the math here, seven. Yeah, it, exactly the same as me. Uh, yeah, by, by eight or, or nine, I knew every swear word there was. And, <laughs> and they stuck me in ASL, and they stuck me a year back because of no language, so I'm, which I'm still bitter about, that they cost me a year of my life, you know? Yeah. Uh, but at that age, we're just a, a sponge, you know? It's so easy. Um, and, and where were you when you came? Uh, Boston. So, well, Brookline, yeah. Right, Near right. suburb, yeah. Uh, which, uh, when we came in 78, it was only a trickle of uh, immigration from there. It was part of that. <clears throat> when, when they were weird and uh you know covert uh trade deals it's called a uh, grain jews right i yeah. remember mimi saying that you're a grain jew exactly yeah. exactly but uh one of the reasons i had to learn english so fast is there's nobody to speak russian with except my parents and what kid wants to just talk to their parents you know exactly i was in the same situation you know <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's very similar when, I remember yeah. learning English, learning about baseball, and mm. learning about baseball cards sort of simultaneously. Sure. Uh, what, yeah, one of my big, uh, I don't know, sorrows or regrets of, of childhood is that my parents didn't know to enroll me in uh, Little League, you know. My one friend I had was really into baseball, and he sort of got me into it, but my parents were totally clueless about it. So I never got to play on a team. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I still, baseball holds some, uh, like a, a a dear place in my heart because it's sort of uh, an introduction 
to this country in a way. It's the only sport I follow. It's the only sport I follow. Yeah. To this yeah. When day. when I followed baseball, it was the only sport I followed. Right. Too, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, it's because it's half not a sport. It's some kind of weird play, you know. Exactly. I thought of it as a, you know, I mean, I thought the only way to really follow baseball, which is one of the reasons I don't anymore, because I don't have TV. Mm. But it was, um, it was a daily soap opera, sure, and it was sure. about personality. It, you know, the sports oh, totally. part was kind of adjunct. You know. Well, and it's so stop star, and there's no timeline. It's like a durational, like performance piece of some kind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I like it a lot. Uh, less so in the last few year, years, for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, it's been a it's it's been a big thing in my life, and partially, probably importantly, because my one friend I made in America in second grade was obsessed with it. You know? mm. <laughs> so that was my entry point. Yeah. Hmm. So in addition to visiting the home grounds or whatever, you're going on book tour as well? Yeah, I'm going on a book tour in Spain. I mm. seem to be out. My, my Spanish publisher has four books by me, wow. which is more than any other publisher in the world has. Amazing. Huh. What, what's that like uh, to go to a country with a, uh, the foreign publisher, like the, when it's been translated, I assume by someone else, right? Or did you do it yourself? No, no, I don't know Spanish. Okay. Uh, somebody else did it, and I have no way of checking. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the weird thing about doing this is um, I, I've done it before because uh, Low Life came out in Italy about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading at this festival in Sardinia, where in, uh, in, in Cagliari, Sardinia, where the, the literary festival was the whole town. So mm, wow. the stages were actually individual squares within this town. So you'd be, you know, on a dais, and the square would be completely filled with people. Oh. And you were reading, in, I was reading in English, and of course, how many people in that crowd even understood even three words of what I said, you know, but somehow they were digging it. I don't know. I did then on the same tour, read at a bookstore in Milan, and I think two people appeared. Mm -hmm. I've had the uh, privilege or pleasure of reading to no one, like just the other reader, readers at a bar. Uh huh. <laughs> Talk about a humbling experience, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been on a book tour where I had fewer people at every subsequent stop. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to build, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're going to be overseas about a month? I am. I know. It's crazy. I feel it just feels lavish because, well, I'm doing this with Raphael, which I've been mm -hmm. promising him for yeah. a decade. Um, yeah. And and I'm doing the Spanish tour. And, you know, really, I kept thinking, well, I should go home in between. Right. Oh, yeah. But, you know, in the end, I decided, no, I can take 10 days and hang out in Paris. Yeah. Boo hoo for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. That's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my parents are big, uh, big travelers. They go to, uh, Europe, usually Italy, most years in the summer, sort of the highlight of their, their year. Uh, in fact, yeah, I was just speaking to my fa father and he's, he's looking back and, uh, through the files and there's a trip pra practically every year since we moved to America. Wow. Yeah. They sort of live for it, you know, and I'm so the opposite, uh, you know, given my druthers, I would barely leave my, my neighborhood, you know, uh. <laughs> which has a lot to do with the immigration thing, I think. It's uh, funny. That's, you know, I mean, I immigrated, you know, our stories have many parallels, yeah. but for me, the greatest feeling of freedom I can 
possibly experience is to be walking out of a, an airport in a town where I've never been. Wow. Huh. Have you pinpointed why that is? Like, what is, is it like a personal, like, because like none of your own history is attached or what is well, it? Because, you know, I mean, for one thing, you know, we, um, we did, my mother and I especially, we did this yo-yoing thing. I mean, the whole, we emigrated in 1959. Mm -hmm. We went back six months later. And then we came back, you know, all three of us, yeah. um, like nine months after that. Right. And then twice my mother and I went back for periods of like three or four months. Um, mm -hmm. And... Um, they were always about like, well, they're about my grandmother dying and then my grandfather dying, but they were also about maybe now that the coast is clear, because part of the problem was that my father and my mother's parents did not get along at all. Uh, yeah. So now that the coast was clear, maybe we should move back to Belgium, you mm. know? So, so there was all this movement and second and well, I mean, the first de-emigration took place before I was in school, but the other two, yeah. you know, we'd go to Belgium, I'd go to school there. I'd come back to the United States, I'd be in school there. And uh, I remember um, when my Vanity Fair piece came out, a friend mm -hmm. of mine wrote and said, I did the math, and, you know, I think your parents were really engaging in child abuse by dragging you across the Atlantic all those times. <laughs> it was the opposite. It was. Oh, you I mean, loved it? it it was amazing. I loved every minute of it and it made me who I am. The, this being forced to encounter, you know, go back and forth between what were at the time wildly different cultures, sure. different languages, you know, different everything. Um, it just enlarged my world so much. And, um, and I think it's for that, you know, it was always an adventure. Interesting. See, uh, like on a gut love, level i uh i think of travel as like a punishment like, it's like a what a, a punishment. punishment like oh. an expulsion like why are you making me leave <laughs> i have to fight that feeling all the time and i know it's irrational it's kind of uh ridiculous because i'm making this choice you know like in a, a month or so i'm gonna rent a car and drive to boston to see my parents and because I, I need to do that for various reasons, but um, there's a, a part of me that's dreading it, not because I dislike my parents, but, but that I have to upend everything, all my habits and all my routine, yeah, yeah. which I love so much, <laughs> <laughs> and which allow me to do uh, the work I do, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's... It's probably just a temperament, personality. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not a psychologist or whatever you need to be to know these things. <laughs> well, you know, at the same time for me, I mean, I know that my home is extremely important. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have, I, as much as I love to travel, yeah. I couldn't really be a nomad. Yeah. You know, because I have my home here. Um, and everything is in its place and, um, exactly. you know, yeah. And it's a beautiful place. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's super crucial, crucial to me, uh, is, is that sense of play place. And, uh, you know, I realize that I can't, uh, go back cause there's nothing to go back to as I've said. So I need to uh, at least to fool myself into a, uh, uh, an illusion, a feeling of permanence. Mm -hmm. And the only way I know how to do that is staying put, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it has more to do with... Um, well, it has, you know, a certain amount to do with material possessions, I guess, as embarrassed yeah. as I am to admit that. Um, but you know, some of it has a function. I mean, like my bookshelves, Sure. I'm always trying to explain my bookshelves to people. Um, you mean the organization? I beg your pardon? The organization of, of them or? 
the organization to a degree, well, yeah, the organization is important, but it's more like the function that my books play in my life. Mm -hmm. Because, well, I mean, there are people who collect books, you sure, know, sure. and um, I'm not one of those. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's a reference library, and, you know, people will argue, well, you don't need a reference library anymore, it's all online. But we, of course, know a little bit different. Yeah. But for me, I mean, the larger function is that I look at my books and it's like a map of my brain. Right. And it's right there and I can refer to it. And I actually organize most of my books. Well, I mean, there's, you know, subject divisions and then literature, but like literature and actually some of the other categories as well, I organize chronologically. Mm. So it's not just a map of my brain, it's a map of the of history oh chron yeah okay not 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 the order in which you, they came into your life. No, no no the order in which they yeah, were yeah, more yeah, or yeah. less the i mean yeah, i'm not you know yeah, yeah. people say like well what about this book that was published in may 1939 <laughs> i see you have it after a book that was published in october 1939 you've got so you've got some some pedantic uh, acquaintances <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting with the books uh uh i'm i've been doing um paintings of my bookshelves for about 25 years now oh wow and it's a living organic thing because the order changes all the time uh. things are added and sub subtract subtracted all the time sure well yeah here too actually so it's like a check check in to see where i'm at mm-hmm yeah so yeah, I get I get what you're talking about. Let's see. Um, what was it? So uh, for the about a, an hour before we came on, I, I was I was listening to uh, this uh, dub compilation, sort of to get in the mood of talking to you because I know you like that kind of music. Mm. Uh, do you still search out new, new music or are you sort of content with your collection these days? I got to say, I don't. I don't really yeah. understand. I mean, the la I remember um, when MP3s came in mm -hmm. and there were MP3 blogs. That was like my last dance with um, new music. Yeah. Because um, there were MP3 blogs I found. I found the outlook interesting. Yeah. And I'd follow them, and they'd frequently lead me to stuff I didn't know existed. And, you know, and I don't have anything like that now. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, if I hear, you know, if somebody says, you should check out Wet Leg, and I go to YouTube, mm -hmm. and I watch a couple of their yeah. videos, and I think, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen so often. Most of the time, it's this, and you know, the thing is, I know, well, dub is a really good example, or blues for that matter, yeah. because if you don't listen to those things all the time, mm -hmm. everything sounds the same. Sure. That's true for a lot of music nowadays. It all sounds the same to me because I just don't have the granular knowledge, you know, or it sounds often, I'll hear something new and I'll think, oh yeah, that sounds like 1992, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's not fair because I'm missing a lot of important context. Um, I'm not hearing whole layers of the music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, I just can't stop uh, finding new uh, stuff. Uh, I never have. It's sort of, in a way, my first love, even before uh, visual art. Uh, it's it's just a constant. I like mm -hmm. I look for new music like every day. Uh, well, good for you. Keep on keeping on. The only people I know my age who really mm -hmm. keep up with new music is because they do it for a living. Yeah, I don't do it for a living. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, that blurb I got from you was for a book of sketches done at at, at uh, concerts, right. uh, and I'm I'm still doing that. Uh, -huh. uh I did that last week, you know. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and now finally uh things are opening up and you can be in places without a mask. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. You know. I've really missed uh 
seeing faces over the last couple of years. I, I know. <laughs> I mean, I uh, I resorted to sketching uh, freeze frames in, in movies, you know, yeah. you know like because I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't draw people in coffee shops or bars anymore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh. It's bizarre times. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so, uh, what else? Um, how has how has this, this big uh, event in your life been going le le lately? Uh, is there any new developments? Any insights? Well, you were talking about doing this reading thing, reading, and it was strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, a, I'm, you know, I'm writing the book. I mean, I, I'm not writing, writing. I'm, you know, gathering oh, you are. notes and stuff like okay. that. That's the next big thing. Yeah, that's the next. Well, I mean, I have a book coming out in August, but this is the next big project. Oh. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it varies a lot. Um, sure, sure. And the, um, the dysphoria quotient, is always there mm -hmm. um the thing is that um and i struggle to explain this to people because yeah. nobody really understands this unless they're in it too exactly yeah. i have this need for constant affirmation yeah for people who kind of know how to say the right things mm -hmm. you know um i mean it sounds like fishing for compliments or something mm -hmm. and yeah it is um and the fact is that since I, I, you know, I spent a month in California and that was fabulous. Yeah. Um, and since I've been back, I've hardly seen anybody. I really haven't oh, really? socialized much at all. And um, so being by myself and, and continuing with this process, mm -hmm. it's a little difficult, you know, because um, solitude allows all the monsters to creep in. Sure. Huh. And, um, but, you know, I mean, I'm continue to be amazed by the fact that daily moods and mood reversals and things of that nature being what they are, that somehow there's this underlying joy and conviction that somehow maintain even through yeah. all the, uh, the daily ups and downs. No, I mean it's a it's amazing thing from the outside mm -hmm. to observe, uh, and you know we don't know each other that that well well. But uh, when you invited me over and told me this story uh, about what was going on, I was totally happy for you. That's so great. I, I didn't. Uh, uh, I was surprised, but not in, in any kind of bad way. It's just obviously. It's not anything I could have seen coming, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, um, that's the feeling from a lot of people uh, in my life. You know, people were, I mean, I had a few people tell me that they guessed something or oh, really? off about me or whatever, but, um, but including, you know, some of the people who are closest to me, friends of 50 years. Wow. Were just like Polacks by this. They had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, what helped me personal, personally is that is that we weren't that close. And that actually that lunch that you you made me was probably the most uh, like friend like thing we've ever done. You know. Yeah, really. I mean, we've only <laughs> met a couple of times. Yeah, and which was uh, uh, as a result of your writing, because I wrote a yeah. review you liked basically, uh, and. Uh, so that's a very different kind of uh, re relationship than. Well, we uh, did hang out in Chicago with did. Uncle Terry and Mimi. That's true. I, I hear from Uncle Terry regularly, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> except except for when he can't get it together to actually show up on the day he says he will. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, there was a some kind of meeting that was I think with uh, Mimi's cousin or nephew or something oh, brother 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 right i'm sorry and uh terry kind of uh screwed up the dates on that yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah i hear here um his um sort of pronouncements on various subjects 
at mm-hmm. regular intervals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mimi's always sending me uh, copies of his letters to the editor. Uh, he writes a lot yes, of letters. Yes, to- I get those. <laughs> well, because he uh, subscribed to my newsletter, so uh, I think he feels uh, that he should re- he should share as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like a, a week or two after uh, that lunch we had, which was uh, last May, I think. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a newsletter about the visit, and mm. I didn't use use your last name. It was called uh, My Friend Lucy, and o- only a couple of people connected the dots and figured out who I was talking about because I didn't want to make it like a full-on public thing because I didn't feel it was my place, you know? It's all right, yeah. Uh, it was interesting to sort of think about that and you're the first person that I know personally that's going through this. Uh, and like I said, I'm I'm super happy for you, you know? Thank you. Yeah. I just, um, you know, I just interviewed an old friend, uh, Jamie Nairs, um, who is pretty well known as a painter and a filmmaker also was in these bands. I mean, we met um, when we were both connected with the Dell Byzantines mm-hmm. around 1979. Uh, she was in the Contortions. Oh, okay. Uh, she made a movie called Rome 78 that was huge. Uh, it was a downtown movie where everybody was pretending to be ancient Romans. <laughs> and she makes these amazing paintings that are giant individual brush strokes that she makes with these brushes that are like, three feet wide and they're they're extraordinary um i look about and anyway so i've known her for uh over 40 years and Mm. she transitioned two or three years before me Mm. and um i was interviewing her for actually a trans magazine this magazine called candy which is very 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 high-end trans publication Mm. of all things and um and we're just talking about the process and the background yeah. and going through this and keeping it under wraps and all that. And, you know, I mean, we're very different people in a lot of ways, but our experiences have it's, were so parallel. It was yeah. kind of eerie in certain ways. Well, that's great that you, you found people that you can uh, commiserate with. I mean, I only have like really like a very, very small handful of people. Well, in in the in the Vanity Fair piece, I think you mentioned a younger friend who's yes. sort of a guide for you. My trans mom, yeah. right? Yeah, Lior, who is um, Lior, yeah, who's forty three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, prior uh, to your announcement, I mean, the coffee shop I ha- hang out at, uh, I watched over the past six seven years. Uh, more and more people uh, identify as non-binary. The people mm-hmm. that work there, I, I just watched it happen because it, it's so much more in the open in this younger generation. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. amazing. I mean, the thing yeah. is with younger people, um, and it's one of the reasons I kind of regret having retired from teaching because, um, I mean, I, I had to retire from teaching because I was... Oh, I didn't realize you did. It was just okay. burnout. Okay. But younger people, whether they themselves feel any kind of trans thing or not, mm-hmm. intuitively understand it in a way that older people almost never do. Yeah. You know, even my son, who is, as I like to say, straight as a highway in Texas, <laughs> had no problem understanding. You know, yeah. he he's known trans kids since he was in middle school. Sure. And, you know, I just feel so much more relaxed with people under the age of 30. Mm, I could see that. Yeah, I, I don't know that I, I can understand it from the inside because I'm not going through through that. But if somebody tells me something, it doesn't trouble me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Sure. Sorry, Dimitri, that was my accountant, and I'm terrified. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. 
Okay. <laughs> Are you able to speak still? Or? Well, I haven't heard the bad news yet. Uh, I just okay. told him I'd call him back. Uh, um, but, you know, this, for example, this, this reading I did at Bard last night, yeah. it was great. You know, it was a big turnout. There was a dinner after. Everybody was really, really super nice. Mm -hmm. um, but absolutely nobody made any reference to my gender change at all zero and nobody said oh you look good or mm -hmm. you know uh it's amazing to see you now nothing like this at all yeah. everybody told me how great the stuff i read was and yeah yeah into i mean partly it's college campus and it's yeah but it's also older people and i think Nobody said anything in part because nobody knows the right thing to say. Yeah, they didn't know what to say. They were uncomfortable. And I know that when I first came out yeah. um, last, uh, well, a little more than a year ago, mm -hmm. and I came out to my innermost circle. Yeah. And uh, one of the people I came out to is a friend who's a therapist in L.A. and who actually works with transgender youth. Mm -hmm. And she wrote back, I attached some kind of photo, I don't remember what, and she said, um, you look great, but I don't know if it's okay for a cis person to tell a trans person that. And I thought, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, on, in, in, you know, in, 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 on what planet is it not okay to tell somebody they look good? For Everybody wants to hear, hear they look good, yeah. whatever you are. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> The only, yeah, the only thing I felt bad about her after our visit is that you felt uh, you had to dress a, a different way than you were comfortable with. Yeah, I, well, you know, that was back in, I think it, you said, you said May. I don't even yeah, It was May, yeah. At that point, I was still... Early May. Yeah, I, that was very early on, yeah. you know, and I was just still dipping my toe. Yeah. I, I went full time in late September. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, that night after I drove away, you sent me the uh, email that you sent your close friends uh, uh, because I was asking you if it was okay to talk about it, you know, to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an interesting time. And then anyway, yeah, it's yeah. it's very weird. I'm I'm and I, I've. Um, the most recent thing that's happened on that front is that I came out to my high school class, my first high school. Uh, my first high school was an all-boys Jesuit high school in New York City, mm. from which I was kicked out in the middle of junior year. But <laughs> because I'm so eminent and everything, they, I'm yeah. invited to the 50th reunion anyway. Sure. And, sure. Um, and there's a kind of group chat connected to all this. Yeah. And I came out to them. And I got like six individual notes from people. And I think I'm actually going to show up at the reunion, which is kind of daunting, but you know. Wow. Yeah. You're braver than me. <laughs> I would never do that. Well, the funny thing is that in my male guys, you know, if life were had continued uh -huh. as it had, there's no way I would have ever shown up at the reunion, you know. Because you wouldn't have felt comfortable. But the, yeah. well, I mean, two things. One of them is that um, I kind of am addicted to drama, you mm -hmm. know, a certain kind of making appearances. I, I yeah. deeply enjoy doing that. But the other thing is that, um, well, my personality has changed, you know, yeah. it really has. And, and people have noticed, uh, like Mimi remarks on it. Yeah. But I, I'm 800 times more social than I ever was. I have this completely different connection to other people than I used to have. Yeah. And I, I crave human contact all the time, mm -hmm. which I never did. I was always very, very solitary. Right. No, I mean, in the, whatever, three times we, we hung out, I noticed a marked difference between the first two and the last. Huh. You know? Interesting. Even. And I think you had even said when you were making the lunch that you were making these efforts to make connections with, like inviting me over was a sort of, a, I don't know if it was practice or something. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? I mean uh, <laughs> you're not practice. You are the target, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
No, but like doing a thing that you wouldn't normally do at that point. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I've, I've probably invited more people over to the house in the past calendar year than, you know, ever before in collected. Yeah. Right. And that must mean that you're on the right track, right? What you're I, doing. Yeah. It's, it seems like it. It does seem like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean what what struck me uh in the days after was that what you were talking about the disconnect from the how you feel inside and outside was just it must be incredibly painful. Uh I don't know. That's the part I I can't feel uh you know sure. from the inside because I uh you know when I look in the mirror I I, I know who I'm looking at. I may not I'm <laughs> I have a lot of problems with what I'm looking at, but I know who the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <You> know? <laughs> right. And uh, the thing that you're doing is, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of an amazing and uh, brave and astounding thing to me. And it's, a, it's an amazing process in yeah. so many ways. And one of them is the way that it's allowed this completely different lens to be put over my whole life. And so that, you know, I mean, it's kind of become, I almost want to say it's become my hobby. Yeah. Um, is like taking this lens and applying it to different portions and aspects of my life. And, and it looks totally different. It's, you know, suddenly, I mean, it's the difference between looking at a bush and looking at a bush with a magnifying glass, mm. you know, suddenly I can see all the insects and, you know, all that. It's, it's really remarkable. It's, um, it's, you know, I can't imagine, I could never have imagined having that kind of access, that kind of, um, sort of backstage access to my own processes. Right. Like, because prior, uh, whatever was the events of your life uh, weren't like your subject uh, in the writing the, in the same way at all, right? Well, I mean, um, I was living a lie, you know? That's, and, um, and everything was colored by, everything was colored by it, every, yeah. every possible thing. And so when you take away the lie and reveal the, you know, terrifying truth at the bottom, um, it shines a light on the oddest corners. Mm. Well, that, yeah. Um, that, I'm glad that the truth is at least incrementally be, becoming less terrifying. I, I hope. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, mm -hmm. I mentioned before I was interviewing Jamie Nears. We were both yeah. a band called the Dell Byzantines. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I wrote two songs. I wrote, well, I wrote a whole bunch of songs, but I wrote two songs that they recorded. Um, and one of them came back to me like on block, just yeah. visited my head sometime last April. And I realized that the whole thing was about transitioning and I had really? no idea when I wrote it. But furthermore, the other song I wrote for them, which was the title of their record, actually, it was called Lies to Live By. <laughs> and the, uh, the refrain was, if I only have one life, let me live it as a lie. Huh clear enough but also even more if you realize that it's um it was punning on a famous ad campaign for breck in the 60s that went if i only have one life let me live it as a blonde <laughs> oh boy so yeah and then you made that happen <laughs> <laughs> eventually a little bit of a delay. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, somewhere, was it on uh, Instagram or on your site? It says uh, there was a phrase, I'm a, constru I'm a construction site. Yeah, so, that's yeah. my Instagram. Yeah. Right, okay. So that's like the project that you're observing, you're observing. closely, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, yeah, because, you know, the one thing that people may not know about gender transition is that it's not something that 
just sort of happens and then it's there. It's mm -hmm. something that happens very, very, very like glacially slowly over a long period of years. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm really I'm still in short pants at this point. Right. It's a yeah, it's there's a lot of steps to it. Yeah. Hmm. Are you uh, still uh, doing the collages that you went back to a couple of years ago? I mean, uh, well, you know, I will. Um, yeah. This past year has been, I, you know, yeah. transitioning takes up a lot of mental you have your hands energy. So I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't done a collage since mm -hmm. last January. Yeah, I, w I wanted to thank you for, for those because it sort of planted a seed in my mind. I notice, yeah. <laughs> sure, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hope to get back to collages. I still have all my impedimenta. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, uh, talk about uh, examining and re-examining uh, bits of the past. It's an amazing way to do that, at least for me yes. it has been. Uh, because, yeah, yeah, I'm repurposing letters, drawings. Oh, wow. It's all stuff from my whatever archives or piles of crap, personal <laughs> crap, you know. I've been rereading a lot of old letters, old, old letters lately lately, because uh, I'm one of those weird people that keeps all those, you know. Oh, I do too. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I must have told you this. I sold my papers to the New York Public you did, Library. Yeah, you did. So all that stuff is. And, and, you know, and it was like very useful financially, but... Mm -hmm. Also, it was a problem because, um, you know, especially now, I mean, I want to, now that I'm re-examining my life, it'd be very useful to look at, you know, letters from this person or that person yeah. to reveal, you know, but I can't, <laughs> you know. You can't schedule. They haven't even started processing oh, my okay. collection yet. All right. I was going to say you could uh, schedule a visit, you know, spend a couple yeah. hours <laughs> or a couple of years. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I found a, a pretty illuminating reading through these letters of the my younger selves. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying Isn't to. Is it depressing? No. No. But it's. I, I found s stuff that I've completely forgotten. Uh, yeah. These you know these old relationships can ba come back to life. In a, you know, I mean, I'm 51 years old now, and I'm reading stuff from when I was like 18 or 20, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a but then yeah, I, I see the patterns, and I see like there's so much of I'm still the same guy, I'm same, I do the same shit, uh, which is, I don't know if it's depressing, it it's. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> well, I, I asked that because I remember um, the first time I asked for, I, I had this friend who's now dead, who mm -hmm. I, I met in high school, um, and we corresponded intensively in, in adolescence. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe I can make use of some of the stuff that I, mm -hmm. I sent him. So at one point, and this is like over 20 years ago, yeah. over 30 years ago, what am I saying? Um, I asked for my letters back and he gave them to me. He did. And yeah. I read them and and I was, I think I'd probably t have more of a distance on it now. Yeah. And I wouldn't react the same way. But back then I was in my 30s reading these letters I'd written as a teenager. And I was deeply embarrassed at how jejune and, you know, how... <laughs> childish I was and you know these idiot pronouncements yeah. I made and and I ended up destroying like two-thirds of oh really yeah see that I I don't have obviously any of my letters to these people I just have their mm, like, right. I, I wasn't such a I don't know megalomaniac that I made carbons or anything <laughs> right. for for my future library that I was gonna donate to somebody <laughs> No, I'm I'm interested in what what they wrote and imagining uh, what it, they were responding to, you know. Mm -hmm. But as as me now, it's an interesting sort of exercise. I mean, I think I'm going to make something uh, 
like write new responses now to those old things. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be fictionalized in some way that I haven't figured out yet. Yeah, <laughs> hmm. uh, it's it's a it's sort of a tight it, it's a tightrope because uh, I got in trouble with the, the last book I put out with the with an ex taking exception to my uh, using some biographical de- details, you know. Oh, which you know this is the perils of so many writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of a. The uh, put the final nail in a coffin of a relationship, or a even a cordial whatever after relationship is you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it probably is something that should have been ended, and I refused to end you know yeah. until it was I was forced to. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, the artwork, the writing is. Um, that's what I'm about, and when some somebody starts uh, sort of undermining it or questioning it, then I can't have that person in my life anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, sure. Uh, so what what's the book that come in, co- comes out in August? It's um, it's kind of a book of local interest. It's called Nineteen Reservoirs. Oh wow! It's about the New York City reservoir system up here in the Catskills, because um, over the past 25 years, well, now I live in Kingston, where you visited mm-hmm. me, but yes. I, uh, in the 90s, I lived close to the Pacton Reservoir, and early in the aughts, I lived near the uh, Shokin Reservoir. Mm. And, um, and, you know, it's New York City property. Um, it's these huge, like, lakes that are exclusively for New York City, and... Um, and local residents, you know, enjoy the scenery at the sufferance of New York City. And um, I'd been, haunt- and they, you know, in order to build these reservoirs, they had to destroy villages. Is this a Robert Moses thing? No, no, not Robert <laughs> Moses at all. This is okay. Department of Water that he never had anything to do with. Oh, okay. Um, and the, the Shokin, the first one, was built in the teens. Papacton was in the 50s. The last one, Cannonsville, was in the 60s. Mm. And, you know, partly, I mean, this ran originally as a four-part article series in an online magazine called Places Journal out of San Francisco. Um, And this is an expanded version of that. Um, And partly it came out of my wish. I've written something about everywhere, everywhere important that where I've lived, kind of. And... um, so I very much want to write about this area, and that's sort of what came out. That's cool. Uh, is who's putting it out? A publishing company called The Experiment. Mm. Are they uh, in the U.S. or Europe? Yeah, they're in New York. Yeah, oh. it's a, it's it's their new company, but oh. they're you know it's not a small press. They're a yeah. regular publisher. Yeah. That whole world is just is such an in bizarre upheaval. I don't know what to even make of it. I know. Uh, I I don't know my place in it at all, aside from the times that they have use for me is when they see a review and then they start selling, sending me books I don't want to read sometimes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, they don't have much use for me, you know? <laughs> nah. But, uh, you know, I figured out a way to put my books in the world in a very limited way. Uh, and I'm, I'm sort of searching around for what to do next in that in that uh, arena. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's strange. What's are are you going to be doing events for that? You think that book? I assume I'm going to be doing events mostly in New York and the Hudson Valley. You know, I I mean I'm willing to do events elsewhere, but. Um, but it's of, of such primarily local interest that that's probably will be confined to this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, I took a trip out to LA. I drove about I think the tail end of the time you were out there, uh, and my uh, companion on the car was uh, an audio book of the Power Broker. Mm. So creepy old Robert Moses was riding shotgun. Oh for, my God. Couple thousand miles with me, 
And uh, did you ever get tempted to throw them out of the car? I had to take breaks. I mean, it's it's it was definitely like having a demon there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a, a fascinating one, but uh, definitely like a malevolent force. Yeah. <laughs> but all that infrastructure stuff uh, uh, you mentioning the reservoirs made me think of it. Yeah. Yeah, but it, you know, I mean, Moses was the most obviously high-handed and megalomaniacal yeah. and also far-seeing of yeah. New York's many infrastructure czars, etc. Yeah. But um, but the high-handed attitude of New York City toward its neighbors is something that far predates him. Yeah. Hmm. So you expect you'll uh, stick around Kingston? For a while? I expect, I mean, you know, I keep thinking, well, you know, if Trump gets reelected, mm. I'm still a, an EU citizen. Right. You, you have that great uh, luxury. But, uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, assuming life doesn't get too terrible, I'm, st so I'm sticking put. I mean, I have a nice house. Uh, people ask me, people were asking me last night, now that you're retired, are you going to move back to New York? And the fact is, I've got this nice house, and in New York City, I could afford maybe a broom yeah. closet, you know? So forget it. And plus, my new it's like your Soviet Union. My New York City is gone. Yeah. And Entirely all, gone. All the cool people uh, from New York live around you now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's not even about the cool people. It's yeah. about the old city, you know? But, like, all the people I think of uh, that I associate with New York... Uh, don't live there anymore. That's right. Uh, I mean, I do still have a lot of friends. I yeah. mean, probably the majority of my friends still live in New York. They do? Okay, yeah. No, I just recently uh, heard uh, another podcast interview with uh, the musician John Spencer, who now apparently lives in Kingston. <laughs> and uh, he's very associated with New York City. Right. But, but yeah, he's up your way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's understandable. I don't know. Uh, no. Well, it's funny. I used to tell people I live in Kingston and they'd say, where's that? Or mm. they'd say, oh, like I told them I was living in Utica or something. Yeah. And now everybody's, oh, man, you're in Kingston. Wow. Yeah. You know, so, and they ca um, they've caught up to you. The world being, has. Yeah. When I even when I moved into this house uh, 14 years ago, longest mm. I've lived anywhere. Mm. Um, when I moved here in, in 2008, the beginning of 2008, um, this was a kind of a deadbeat town, you know, yeah. it had, um, it had died twice because, uh, it had died as a river port mm -hmm. just before World War One. Yeah. And then IBM came in in the fifties and built like seven plants. Uh, and then IBM moved out in the late eighties. Sure. That killed the town. All these people moved out. I mean suddenly everything stagnated yeah. and i really like kingston when i moved in be yeah. because i like that kind of stagnation i sure. guess but now you know it's like getting fancy and it's filled with yuppies and there of are course like huge real estate fights going on and stuff and it's you know it's just not the same thing but kingston is also it's it's a big sprawling town with all these nooks and crannies, all these yeah. scattered neighborhoods, all these patches of woods and stuff. And they're never really going to successfully gentrify the whole thing, it, you know, or not within my lifetime, yeah. I don't think. So, you know, it's a nice place. And my neighborhood is really, even after 30 years in New York City, my neighborhood right now in Kingston mm -hmm. is absolutely the most diverse place I've ever lived. Really? That's cool. Uh, I have similar feeling in my current place. I live in a neighborhood called Bridgeport, which traditionally was uh, Irish and ethnic Eastern European and super racist, but over the past 20 years has diversified it. And uh, on my block, there's every color of the rainbow, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a huge sprawling neighborhood, and I'm hoping uh, will resist the traditional gentrification cycle or model uh, a little bit, at least in pockets, you know. Uh, but yeah, this is the fate of any like artist types, you know, that 
settle neighbor, you know, formerly shitty or fallow neighborhoods. We make it safe for the money people. Yeah, yeah. This, this happened to me, I don't know, four or five times in my life already here <laughs> in the city. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't. I can't I can't imagine leaving uh, Chicago. I mean, yeah. As close to home as I've got. That's right. And I've never lived any one place more than seven years. Never in my life, you know. Uh, so I, I'd like to do that. Uh, I'm up to I'm a entering uh, year seven uh, in this neighborhood, but only the second year in this apartment. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we'll see how long I make it. <laughs> well, cool. You, you, you want to uh, wrap this up? Sure. Sounds like a good okay. idea. Cool. And yeah, hope maybe we'll get to see each other uh, sometime in May. I hope so. Great. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And, well, uh, thank you, Dimitri. Safe travels on the home turf. And let's keep in touch. All righty. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.